0: Good evening. You are listening to Three Moves Ahead. I'm Len. I'm your host this week and almost every week at this point. And I am joined by our friends, Rowan Kaiser. Hello. And Ian Boudreaux. Hey, everybody. And we are here to bid farewell to uh, 2023 in strategy games, a year that uh, has kind of been talked about in the wider gaming world as maybe one of the best years ever. Um, I don't put a, a ton of stock in Metacritic, but apparently there's more. There were more 85 plus Metacritic reviewed or Metascore games released this year than any previous year on record, which partly also just because there's way more games now. Um, yeah, that's, <laughs> that's I think we need We need a control
1: on the other side of that. To-
0: yeah. Um, but there, there have been some bangers, whether or not it was a great year for strategy games, uh, specifically is something we'll explore. Um, usually what we do on these these year end shows or at least something we try to answer is what what was the story of strategy games in this year? What were the bigger themes? Uh, Rowan, what are your thoughts on that? Um, so yeah I, I've skipped
1: the last couple the last couple um, year in review shows because I couldn't really I don't know get my get my head around it but this year I feel like there's there's two clear trends which is uh, they're they're kind of related but it's that the big strategy game companies have kind of taken a major step back uh paradox creative assembly for access uh, being the the major ones uh, and the mid-sized games and a lot of trends that we have been looking forward to from mid-sized game companies particularly survival strategy games and tactical RPGs the battle brothers like this uh those have been like maturing they're doing really really well and i think when you look at the strategy games of this year we're just like pretty much the only big release i think from from those those major companies i saw was total war, war pharaoh you could maybe count City Skylines 2 as part of Paradox, but it's not the Paradox development studio. But other than that, uh, most of the stuff that we're looking at are these these mid-sized games. And I think there were lots and lots of really interesting mid-sized games in lots and lots of little micro genres that we are excited about.
0: Ian, what do you think? Is, does that sound similar to your thesis on 2023?
2: Yeah. I think that tracks, um, <clears throat> like Rowan said, I mean, we just didn't see, um, you know, the, the traditional heavy hitters coming out with very much and the stuff that did launch, um, wasn't well received usually. Like, uh, <clears throat> we do have a couple, um, like Sega had, had a company of heroes three. We had, uh, a total war Pharaoh, both of which, you know, uh, Saw some pretty well, I mean in the especially in the case of Pharaoh, saw some massive pushback from fans. I don't know that it was completely earned. Um but yeah, the the interesting story of 2023 is definitely in the uh AA and indie um uh scales, I'd say.
0: Yeah, I mean one of the notes I had um, you know, as I was kind of listing out games and putting them into various, uh, you know, piles was disappointing releases from big names in strategy, with the the two being that that loomed the largest to me, of course, being Company of Heroes 3, which, you know, I think the consensus is kind of that the the multiplayer is still really good. Like, if you just want to jump into, like, a skirmish, you know, tank battle or whatever. You know, that's pretty fun. Rob's written about some of his experiences with that. Um, But then they tried to do this kind of ultra ambitious um, total war type free form campaign, which it seems like from conversations I've had with some of the people who worked on it, that they they kind of knew it wasn't working, but it it was already so far along and they had already talked mm-hmm. about it so much in the marketing that like, they couldn't just say, okay, well, it didn't work. So that's, that's not going to be in the game, which kind of is a, a telling, is- um, a telling example of how like game marketing can actually really negatively inf- uh, affect the final product. I think.
1: And this is our fault, you know, And by our, I mean, Rob, I mean, Robin Fraser specifically. I don't know if you, if you remember that we did like a a show on like great strategy game campaigns and it was basically an excuse for Robin Fraser to talk about how great Ardennes assault was for like 45 minutes, which it was, and and I'm sure, I'm sure it was, but it made it, it. like develop this idea that you can do a real-time strategy game with a dynamic campaign and i guess like theoretically you can but it seems like it's a it's a it's a lightning striking twice more than a uh, actual thing that you can play on i might be exaggerating here this well, this made this may just be me wanting to make fun of robin fraser for having gotten <laughs> so excited that's,
0: but that's that's a valid reason <laughs>
2: Arden assault really was great. And it just, yeah. it, it, and I think it was a question of scale. Right. Um, the, I, the, we only talked about this in the show, but just the, the fact that it just felt like that map was mostly wasn't turned on. Like there was just huge parts of it that didn't do anything. Um,
0: yeah. So. It's, I mean, it's scale and granularity too. Like Arden assault, I think part of why it worked was, you know, they had like a province by province, supply system and it, it was like old school total war i mean super back in the day old school total war where you were actually moving armies between set provinces as opposed now to where you can just kind of run around wherever you want with a pretty fine level of positioning um, and i think they should have just made big Ardennes assault. like i think that would have actually been great if it was just Ardennes assault yeah. but bigger and it's southern italy and Rome at the top and like all of the stuff you could do in Ardenosal, like cutting off supply lines and cutting off retreats and stuff. Yeah, there were situations you could possibly manufacture in the COH3 Italy campaign where that was possible, but that it didn't it didn't typically go like that. It was typically like creeping forward a little bit and here come some scripted enemies and now creeping forward a little bit more and here come some more scripted enemies. And yeah, it just, it, it wasn't the same. It wasn't, it, it was no Arden assault. salt.
2: Um, it would be one that I'd be interested in revisiting uh, because I know that they have addressed some of the things that I specifically have problems with. Yeah. Like the fact that, I mean, I mean, some obvious ones, like the fact that the Germans didn't actually fight back or try to recapture territory you took um that was a that was kind of a big thing
0: yeah, that uh
2: yeah. <clears throat> made the campaign feel a little it just defanged the whole experience so i i know that they've addressed that and changed it so it would be one that i'd be i'd be ready to uh give that a reinstall uh and uh, and try it again if you know the day ever comes that i have a chance to play games recreationally again
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah that's uh, one of the great uh paradoxes of writing about games as a job is is
2: yeah real monkeys paw situation um yeah
0: yeah. let's let's
1: stick with sega here because i think creative Mm -hmm. assembly and and total war have they've had they've had a goddamn year
0: they really have it's it's probably been the high tide of just like fan backlash against creative assembly and total war in general and like even beyond (laughs) that uh, you know hyenas, which is the their you know extraction shooter. I think it was an extraction shooter that they were. Yeah, that's the bit. Suppose, supposedly the most expensive game Sega has ever produced, and they canceled it after the closed beta, like what a week before it was supposed. It was to like launch? a couple
2: of weeks, yeah, before it was supposed to launch. Mm, yeah, oh, it sucked. Yeah, so. Um, They they had
1: Creative Assembly working on this like after, you know, I don't know exactly what the what the dates on this were, but like Creative Assembly four years ago was like the highest of highs for strategy games. We had both Warhammer and Three Kingdoms running and like both of them were pretty well excellent. I know there were a lot of people who want the pure historical things who were a bit upset, but in general, I think a lot of people were like, oh, man creative assembly can't really do much wrong and then they decided to have them make a fucking nft game or whatever that was (laughs) hyenas jackals i don't know it was chasing some sort of trend that was completely not what they do
0: yeah it it was a very how do you do fellow kids kind of vibe to it yeah um, I, I don't believe there said, were
1: actual I, nfts involved just talking about whatever whatever trends people were chasing is, yeah, to be yeah. Clear. but there probably were internally at some point
2: well, you know extraction shooter that whole genre is lousy with like it's very married up to that whole nft space so i yeah you know, well,
0: it's, it's a reasonable
2: the, thing to have thought, but yeah, it, it wasn't bad though. I played one of the alpha tests or, or something and it seemed very huh. competently put together. Like it was fine. Huh. So I don't know what, I'd love to know what went wrong.
0: I mean, it, apparently the the closed beta was just that the feedback was so negative and their projected player numbers were, you know, in the, yeah you know, in the toilet basically. But, um, the other thing there's there's a video from a uh a guy who he used to mostly cover world of warcraft news he goes by Bellular on youtube that he's citing a former creative assembly employee so i don't i wouldn't say take this as gospel but he tends to be fairly reliable he doesn't tend to um you know repeat stuff that is just absolute bullshit that has no merit whatsoever uh but it, it kind of sounds like maybe three kingdoms two has been like dead for over a year now um <laughs> based this on the con- content of his video yeah this is completely
1: insane like i was talking with rob a couple of weeks ago about like where they were with that game where they ended up with that game and what they said they were going to do and like that game was really good. And then they kept kind of tweaking it in ways that were making it slightly worse and slightly worse and just kind of demotivating how you wanted to play it. And then they were like, okay, but we're going to do a sequel. It's like, all right, this kind of sucks. I wish you would fix how gates work. But if the only way you could do that is a sequel, then I guess we can worry. But no, it's it's just, they had one of the most exciting strategy games in the last half decade and just literally flushed it down the toilet. Or they yeah. just left, or it actually sounds more like they just left it in the toilet with the rest of the waste, uh, didn't and forgot to flush. So like this is this is, I, I'm not surprised by companies making terrible decisions. It's sort of what they're for, but like this is a pretty <laughs> astonishingly terrible decision. Like, yeah.
0: I mean, and I would, I, I would. I would categorize it as a rumor at this point. I don't know. Maybe yeah. they have didn't really stop working on it. Maybe they put it on pause. Maybe they're working on a new Three Kingdoms right now. We can't really know that, but... Yeah. Um, okay. Yeah. <laughs> even, even if that's
1: true, the fact uh-huh. that they said they were going to be doing the next thing and just completely pulled the rug out from Three Kingdoms 1... And have not mm-hmm. had anything to say about any future thing in those two years is still pretty disastrous. Yeah, like, at, l- at least fix the gates, man. If you're going to take five years to get Three Kingdoms Two out, then, then figure out something to do, or get rid of them. Like, just do do something with this this nonsense. But uh, yeah, it's
0: and like we've said it before, but the fact that it was a Western produced niche strategy game that sold that well in China, which is a huge emerging market for video games in general. Like it's, it just, it does feel like setting a giant pile of money on fire on top of everything else. Like, yeah,
1: <laughs> like this was, there, there was both like a claim from, you know, critics like me and just generally fans yeah. who were excited about having this because like, I don't know, Brian would probably push back on me, but if you've been playing the Romance of the Three Kingdoms games from Koei for the last 20 years and being like, man, I wish there was a real game that did all this stuff. (laughs) um, That's that's maybe like a bit of inflammatory language. The Koei games are real. They're just, all of the Koei games feel like they're like 80% of the thing that I want. Uh And Total War Three Kingdoms was like 99% of the thing that I want. So like there's, it it felt like it felt like the full experience that was that was sort of like half given to me. And when I said twenty years, I really meant like I think thirty five. I think the first one is on the NES was like nineteen eighty eight or something. Um, but yeah, like it was so exciting and it made money and it was really good. And then it's just gone. And I don't know. It's like that on its own. Like I could understand, but there's just so many other things that have gone at least somewhat to extremely wrong with the other decisions that Creative Assembly and/or Sega have been making with the franchise.
0: Yeah, and not just gone in the sense of like we're not making any new content for it, but like gone in the sense of support too. Like, yeah, we we talked about on the you know Farewell to Three Kingdoms show that they they kind of left it in worse shape than it was in on launch day, and then like you know.
2: Yeah, Blizzard I was would've...
0: Blizzard was still releasing patches for Brood War like fifteen years after it came out, and there has not been even a hot fix for Three Kingdoms since then. Like they meant we are not devoting a single hour of a single person's yeah. time to this game anymore.
1: So, and and this is <laughs> literally one of the best games in the strategy sphere to come out yeah. in that decade. Like it's it would it has a decent case for the best i like i might put it right behind XCOM and crusader kings 2 but uh yeah that's that's still really really (laughs) highly placed Uh, no it just it's just gone but like also total warhammer 3 like immortal empires was great but the launch on that was not quite what it should have been uh and they like dramatically patched the entire campaign in ways that like our review versions were completely irrelevant by the time it actually came out um and then they've had i i don't know what's up with their their expansion schedule on that game but it's been kind of disastrous after uh warhammer one and two did there there was a lot of it and it was pretty expensive but it was interesting and consistent
0: yeah. Well, the other big thing was the Shadows of Change DLC that came out after That's, Chaos Dwarfs. Yeah,
2: and that seems to be what's brought every all of this kind of um, resentment and anger to a head. Unfortunately.
0: Yeah. yeah. It's it's basically um, again caveat that Steam reviews are often bullshit because people will use it as a culture war thing and you know Brigade and things like that, but it's still sitting at. positive recent reviews, 21% positive overall. And the main reason for that is because, or the main reason that I see that is legitimate is it's, it's normally $25. Uh, it's currently on sale for $20. So only 20% off, um, and it has less content than some of the ten dollars DLCs for Warhammer 2 did. If you just yeah. compare, like number of new units, number of races that got new mechanics, number of new starting positions, um, it's you know it's more than a one hundred percent increase in price over what this amount of new stuff would have cost during the Warhammer 2 DLC cycle, and. There was a lot of complaints about it. And then they came out with this press release that was just kind of like, well, costs are up. you got to have to deal with it. Um, yeah. It was it was very unapologetic. I'm, and, immediately
1: uh, after release, they did. <laughs> but they also sent something out a couple of weeks ago about. Uh, yeah. Basically, they, they sent someone out to fall on his sword in public. I believe his uh, an executive who was basically, oh, yeah, we kind of messed up with a lot of these things. Uh, whoopsie um yeah, and, i mean but, to the
2: point that they were giving people partial refunds on total war pharaoh yeah
0: that was so, huge because yeah. yeah they 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 reduced the price and they refunded the difference like this is i right. actually do have to give them credit for this because this is not just saying we're going to try to do better this is like a way that they materially made some kind of restitution to uh their player base I've also heard that it's partly because Pharaoh sold so poorly that it's not really taking that much more of a bath to do this. Um, yeah. But which
2: is, it sucks I, because I think that like yeah. a lot of what has to like Pharaoh's fortunes have been, I think unfairly tied to this resentment. Right. Um, That's going on in Warhammer three. <sighs> and like, it's, it's a, it's a good game, Jim. Like, that, yeah, like yeah, it's, totally. Pharaoh's good and it's a whole new studio. It's you know it's a different studio, rather. It's uh, Creative Assembly Sophia that uh has been handling um Pharaoh. Um Total War so, Total like, War just,
0: uh Total War Pharaoh is the marvels of video games. The reasons you're annoyed with this franchise are completely legitimate, but the 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 financial um flop landed on something that was probably more worth paying attention to than people actually
2: did. Yeah. I mean, it, it, just the, yeah. the, um, like people were ready to hate this game when yeah. it came out. I mean, just because of how angry they were over, um, the, uh, Warhammer 3 DLC, the, the subreddit was in shambles for months. Um, it, it's just not been a pleasant place to be all year, really. And, uh, and so, so they were, they were ready for what? Pharaoh to fail.
1: So I think that there's like there's a complicated kind of social thing going on that's been bubbling up for the better part of a decade. Basically, since Paradox started its plan to uh do consistent expansions for Crusader Kings 2 and then EU4 and then uh Total Warhammer and various other Creative Assembly games have kind of followed along with it. But there's been a switch from like the, the very old model for how to keep a game going uh, after you release it is to release an expansion pack or two, which basically are charged like the, the game was $40, the expansion pack is $30, or the game is 50 the, the expansion pack is 40 that kind of thing. So this is the way that things were until basically digital digital downloads and stuff. Uh, became like the dominant form paradox was the first company to really take advantage of that and they really did take advantage of it with uh crusader kings 2 and europa universalis 4 where like especially the first like five or six expansions that they made for those games tended to be really good or at least do something really interesting and different and if you didn't want them they did other things that made it made it like work a little bit but over time, that became like a, a you're paying 20 bucks a month or not 20 bucks a month. You're paying 20 bucks every six months in order to keep playing your game in the way that's exciting, which is a good deal in some ways. Like if you're like, I can play Europa Universalis for the rest of my life for 20 bucks every six months, like you might take that yeah. deal. But when it comes across as here's an individual choice that I have to make and I have to use my budget for every time it happens with a game that I have already invested a bunch of time and energy and perhaps like promoted socially, like I've sort of like gotten an emotional connection in public with this game. Right. then it becomes like very easy to get upset by having to get this decision about should I pay this 15, 20, 30 dollars for an expansion every single time? And I think that this has been an issue that's been bubbling up a lot, especially with the franchises that are getting more and more mature like the like Warhammer especially, which is I think now in its eighth year. Uh, when this when this show comes out, I believe it'll be having been its its oh, eighth man. year of
0: Total Warhammer. Now. Oh that that one hurts my bones oh, my. for some reason. Yes, and, not Total you know, War, but Total War Warhammer specifically. Real. Yes, <laughs> oh,
1: um, oh, and man. Europa Universalis is it's ten of year anniversary as a million years
0: old. Uh,
1: yeah. Yes, uh, oh. so like having to do this every time it just takes one of them to kind of break you and be like fuck this i'm not paying another another amount for this it like that that sort of feeling has been bubbling up in paradox and creative assembly despite making consistently great games uh for at least a few years uh both of them i think have struggled since the pandemic for various reasons that we can Mm -hmm. get into um but despite making consistently very good games, games that people have loved, the idea that they are constantly nickel and diming you and that the expansions are sometimes not actually improving the game either significantly or sometimes even making the game worse, like everyone has been building this little resentment towards the idea that, you know, things are just kind of getting shittier. And so Mm -hmm. when... Both Paradox and Creative Assembly raised their prices significantly this year. Uh, Paradox with the $30 expansion for Crusader Kings and Creative Assembly with the $25 or $30 one for uh, Total Warhammer. Like, people were ready to burn shit down. And they have, like, I have seen this for the past year or two is that Paradox went from, oh my God, Paradox is making this, this is so exciting from like regular, regular players of games to like, Oh God, it's a paradox game. They're going to nickel and dime me for the next 10 years. Fuck those guys. And yeah, like that's both true and unfair and completely fair. And like, (laughs) it's just sort of a, it's a really weird combination of like, how, how do you make things make money in the digital age um, and we can toss for access in with that too, because they released that civilization leader pack. They said they were done with civilization six, but then they were like, Oh, actually here's another thing where we're going to drop in like 15 new leaders in joy. And like, yeah. that's kind of cool, but also kind of like, what are we doing here? What is, what, what is the overall goal here? Um, are you just trying to squeeze out a little bit more money by finally having, Ramsey's the second and I think <laughs> Abraham Lincoln or uh, I don't know. Uh, it's I, I liked it personally, but like I saw Fraser in our chat like just lambasting for access for being so terrible about releasing, quote an expansion without actually having like expansion mechanics in it. Um, and like that's not wrong. Uh, but sometimes maybe new leaders are what you want. But either way, like we're we're seeing we're seeing this roughly decade old trend since Crusader Kings two. Uh, that's the big one. Civilization five also is is part of this story, but in a more complicated way. But we're seeing this trend kind of explode, and it's also running parallel to both Creative Assembly and Paradox not releasing games at the quality that they they have yeah. been. Um, I know that. You guys both liked Pharaoh, I know John did not like Pharaoh, and I was sort of on John's side with the little bit I played, but I didn't play a ton, but he was he was saying that it was it was Rome two like like scrum battles and was just like, "No, fuck this," and yeah, uh, I think yeah, that I was-
0: that specific like parameter of battle feel mm-hmm. is like something I'm not as sensitive to as you and John are <laughs> um in in you know so I can definitely see why yeah either of you because that was a thing that really bothered you in some of their past games would not yeah. have clicked with it yeah
1: but we also have victoria 2 which was a little dubious uh victoria
0: 3 yeah
1: yeah victoria 3 sorry yeah. um city skylines was also a disappointment this year um big, and- big
0: disappointment <laughs>
1: <laughs> and war warhammer three took some massaging immortal empires is fantastic we've covered that yeah. but like the original base campaign was a little a little messy in a way that was uh de- definitely felt like a step back from two and i would say one though i know i'm in somewhat of a minority on loving the campaign from one but yeah this is you're you're getting this double whammy of actually it's probably a triple whammy because the pandemic has fucked everything up mm-hmm. um but a double whammy of the games are maybe getting a bit worse as the resentment over uh, the expansion pack model has started to boil over, and so we're getting like fan revolts against these companies, and I'm I'm not sure how this is going to turn out.
2: Well, and this is all amid kind of a squeeze across entertainment broadly. Yeah, Like we, like the, the phenomenon you're describing Rowan of, you know, like, well, this is a game that I'll drop $20 on every six months. Or, I mean, this is the destiny model for one thing. I mean, like you have yeah. to be, you have to keep up with destiny. And, and that, that's a game that definitely lost me with a couple, like a run of two expansions that I just hated. And then I was like, why did I ever like this game? This, this is <laughs> terrible. And, right. um, but, but, but to, to, you have to look at Destiny as this recurring investment. That if you aren't willing to to make that you know that that the the purchase of every expansion and and play with the uh, seasonal stuff, you're not going to be experiencing what Destiny is, right? And and that's and put you know games as part of your entertainment budget per every month broadly. You're getting squeezed. You know next month Amazon Prime is going to be more expensive or have ads in it. I mean, everything is getting shittier basically and, and more expensive. We're getting squeezed on every single thing that we're doing for, for a worse product usually. And (laughs) so I like being mad about that, I think is a reasonable response.
0: And and the other thing we have to talk about is that the people making them are too. I mean, part of exactly why that creative assembly blog post about costs are up, went over so poorly is because and a lot of these are also just like, this was the perception in the community at the time. We don't know details, but that like, uh, I think at one point someone on the Total War team said that the most recent patch for Warhammer 3 had been mostly made by one person. And that like, you know, Oof. there was definitely a perception that like people had been moved over to hyenas and it was like kind of a skeleton crew working on Total War. That's not verifiable, but what is, is that And, you know, our friends at Aftermath have written about this. I think any games journalist who's, like, reasonably responsible has brought it up in these end-of-the-year discussions is that even if 2023 was a banner year for games, it was an absolutely disastrous year for the games industry in terms of layoffs, in terms of companies that are making record profits, just cutting a bunch of people loose, like, right before Christmas. the Paradox Disappointment we haven't even brought up yet is Lamplighters League, you know, from the people who made Battletech and the Shadowrun CRPGs that we in general really liked um, that laid off, like, what, was it 80% of their staff earlier in the year? And then they release a game that feels unfinished, Mm -hmm. and it's like, I wonder if it felt unfinished because 80% of the staff was laid off like five months before it came out. Um, yeah that that game came out in october i believe
1: and the layoffs were in june and yeah it feels like that game was just like they needed a little bit more poly like it's it's nice there the game feels generally good and does the things it's supposed to but it could have used like maybe another one percent to like really grab you and uh yeah it just it it just felt it that one just completely fell through the cracks. Like I think uh they part of that was like they did some mock reviews or whatever that were not great. And then they were like, Fuck it, we're cutting hairbrained off. And then hairbrained is like, No, fuck you, we wanna leave. Like this yeah. this purchase by Paradox has been completely disastrous for us in the past three or four years. And I I think they're right. And like this yeah. is kind of sad because like, you know, we're I know you and I, at least, Lynn, and I, Ian might join us on this. We have like an emotional connection to Paradox as like what we consider a really good strategy game company with people that we generally like and want to see succeed. But
2: Absolutely. they have
1: taken a lot of that and set it on fire in the past few years. And that's like, I want Hairbrain to be free. I'm glad Obsidian got yeah. free. Like, these are... These are things that I think have made for have made for or will make for better games. And I don't know why Paradox is doing this, but the fact that they went public in 2016 and their stuff has slowly gotten shittier ever since may be a clue.
2: No, well, yeah, yeah I, I and that that does seem to be um, something that a lot of these uh you know, layoffs, acquisitions, and and shittier products have in common is uh, they are happening mostly with publicly traded companies.
0: Yeah, I'm mean, I mean, certainly
2: <laughs> not the first person to, to make that observation, but I mean, it's yeah. hard. It's it's getting harder and harder to avoid that. You know, conclusion: this is the 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 economics of being publicly traded, of having shareholders uh, make for bad games and a. Bad experience trying to make games. Yeah,
1: and yeah. I, it's yeah, I mean, it's my... because it's because they're about short term profits. Above all, you have to make the shareholders yeah. feel good in the moment. And,
2: well, and it's extractive, right? It's an extractive yeah. press process. All that value is extracted to, into dividends and shareholder value. Yeah. So,
1: so you you have even people who would want to make good decisions, and we know have made good decisions in the past are pressured to make bad decisions because this is just the model that they're under. And so City Skylines two gets released in a very strange state. Victoria three was, feels like it should have been an early access game and is maybe just got their full release this year. And, uh, Lynn could Skylines talk a two. About,
0: yeah. Yeah. Skylines yeah. two absolutely felt like it should have been an early access game. And, uh, even the the video end of the year video dev diary thing colossal order put out just a couple weeks ago as we're recording this they revealed that uh, it was already 3 years behind schedule skylines 2 was originally supposed to be a game that was going to come out in 2020 and again the pandemic is obviously something that threw everyone off um, but the fact that you know it was already 3 years late i they've insisted paradox did not like worse their hand to put it out. It was a decision they made internally. I would love to unpack that someday in 15, mm. 20 years just get, you know, Marina, you know, in in a room and and just be like, what really happened there? What what really happened? Um but yeah, it was it, it was kind of in a disastrous state and it's it's not great now. It's kind of like I'm feeling like I might just come back to it in a year and see where it's at. Like it was it was that rough
1: um so victoria 3 (laughs) yeah like i went and played this for the first time we were on Uh the street well it was actually the second time i'd played a little bit like about three months after release but i wasn't quite ready after my Mm -hmm. heart surgery to like fully concentrate on it so we had a fun time i was playing the u.s and trying to like maneuver around the civil war and so on uh and then, like after after I was playing, uh, one of our one of our Discord friends, Patreon subscriber Bucktown, messaged me and was like, "So you're playing as a as the U.S. Did they fi- fix the immigration bug yet?" And I was like, "What immigration bug?" And it is like, "Oh, there's just not any immigration to the U.S." And I like looked at some of the stuff, uh, uh, some of the like demographics, and it was like, "Right, nobody is actually coming into the U.S." One of the perhaps the single biggest story of the um, social history of the United States of mass immigration from Europe into particularly the northern U.S. and not so much the southern U.S., uh, simply not happening. And that was just like completely deflated all my motivation to continue with the Victoria 3 campaign that I was generally enjoying. And then I was like, right, that explains why this isn't happening and this isn't outright and all the... And, like yeah, that's it's a historical simulation that's not doing its one of the yeah. absolutely most essential parts of its historical simulation, and that's just really demotivating
0: and
2: like that's that- a shame because you didn't get the great experience of sending extra shipments of cocaine to a ninety nine year old ulysses <laughs> s Grant as he uh, attempted to lead a expedition to chart the source of the Niger River
0: <laughs> <It's-> yeah. <laughs> oh man it really and that anecdote specifically, I think is what finally triggered in my mind this like feeling of like oh man like did- did did they finally fly too close to the sun like I really got <laughs> to thinking about it, and I'm like, what drew me to paradox games is like how involved their simulations are. We even talked about this earlier in the year in the episode with uh, Johan Anderson and Soren Johnson um which I would nominate as one of our best episodes of 2023. You should definitely go listen to that. Um, But it's like Victoria 3 and this immigration bug. And it's like this this simulation is so complex and there could be like something like that could break because of something little and stupid that is like so hard to track down probably that completely for all intents and purposes, like completely ruins the idea of it as a historical simulation in like a very meaningful way. And like there's a bug now where there's like 100 million people missing or something in in 1936, like that the way population growth is just completely off. And like every patch, it feels like there's something like that. And I'm just like. I don't know if it's worth it. Like I, the the complexity of this simulation, like we might have found the upper limit where it's just like it doesn't yeah. make sense to do this complex of a simulation. You've transcended what is not only sensible but like practicable. I'd, I like
2: you've hit the Jurassic I, Park limits.
0: Like I would rather yeah. just have a simpler version of Victoria 3 where immigration and population growth work correctly. I, like I I would rather that you do something to trick me into believing that all of this stuff is actually going on behind the scenes than trying to actually do it and have it not work.
1: Yeah, well this is this is like what's happened with uh with with my beloved uh I don't even know how to describe it, uh my Grand Tactician Civil War game, which I have been obsessively playing until the last six months for the last two years or so. Uh, where, like, it's made by people who want to do like a paradox level simulation, but what they have actually put together is a relatively simple in concept war game. Uh, but they also have this economy that is like almost completely pointless. You can make the economy work, it could be fun to even make it work. But you can also just completely not do anything to the economy whatsoever. And as long as you watch what your credit rating is, you will be fine. So they have this like full simulation of 19th century America. They like also simulate actual population of every state. And so you can't just go in and say, oh, I want the Confederacy to get 50,000 more men in uh, December 1961. Uh, instead, you have to like go and tweak the percentage of every state's population that's available to you and it's like there's no reason for this except that this is the reason that the game exists right oh, They have yeah, to that's do so. something they it's like the developers feel like they have to do something incredibly ambitious and blow Blow the lid off what wargaming can be in order to be motivated to add something more to the game or to fix something old, but they can't just like take the simple part that works and stick with the simple part that works and trick you into believing that it's a complex simulation. It's the opposite. It's actually a very it's a very simple reaction to an overly complex simulation that is the best way to play, which is kind of the worst feeling about a game. You want it to feel the opposite way. You want it to look hard and play easy to use the, the mm. Myers Sim golf advice. Um, uh,
2: on the other hand, though, it's I, I always my favorite stories and the ones that I remember forever are of games whose you know, reach exceeds their grasp. Right. Like, yeah. Uh, and and like and that kind of pointless complexity <laughs> that we, we we don't do this because it is easy, but, but because it we thought it would be easy um, <laughs> sort of yeah. sort of thing like Dwarf fortress is what comes to mind. And yeah. like just the, the stories about the way that uh, like the problems introduced when they brought cats and drinking and inns <laughs> and things like that into, into the simulation. And it just caused yeah. chaos uh, that I love that. That's, that's my favorite well, see, thing about this old job, but yeah, yeah, I can.
0: I love dwarf yeah. fortress and I think Dwarf Fortress and Victoria 2 are quite similar in the sense that they were they're both ridiculously like almost absurdly complex simulations that were fundamentally broken, but in like fun and funny ways (laughs) like or, you know, Dwarf Fortress, I wouldn't necessarily call broken as much as it's just like. The, the, the fineness of the simulation leads to some really weird situations. Victoria 2 was kind of the, the wrong way. I'm going to call out that I think people who hate Victoria 3 that say they really liked Victoria 2 better uh, don't understand why they liked Victoria 2 better. Uh, quote one Rowan Kaiser, nerds are bad at explaining why they like things. Um, <laughs> I think it's beca- partly because of how absurd it was. Like, Victoria 2 was an absurd game that didn't work but it was still fun. Like the, what, what they were trying to do didn't work the same way. Victoria three kind of d- doesn't work, but it wasn't like fun and funny ways. Whereas I don't think Victoria three is broken in fun and funny ways. It's just broken in annoying ways. Um, hey, do
2: you think that, that the slickness <laughs> of the package that like, like Victoria three looks so good. <laughs> like it, it looks like a, yeah. you know, like a game for normal people. Uh, and it's not.
0: <laughs> for for people who are like us, people who, you know. Yeah.
2: yeah. Uh, well, I mean, like Hearts of Iron you know. 3. Yeah. Is for psychos, right? Like you, you can't <laughs> like a normal person's not going to play that game at all. It's a, it's a, uh, so that yeah. was like a self-selecting mechanism. Uh, like everybody who played Hearts of Iron 3 was prepared for that kind of. Yeah like idiocy that you had to you know, like you were already kind of on board already that with the kind of insane things you'd have to be doing to play that game same kind of thing for Victoria 2 and then but if you make a game that looks nice and inviting the way that Victoria 3 is then all of a sudden it's going to be exposed to a bunch of people who are completely unprepared for what you're about to uh present them with
1: yeah this is this is like what I talked about with Crusader Kings 3 where what Crusader Kings 3 did was it uh like sanded off a lot of the rough interface edges of crusader kings 2 to the point where it was really easy to do whatever it was that you just wanted to do right and then when that becomes really easy to do and you don't actually have to take a step of difficulty to figure out how to accomplish the thing that you want to accomplish uh then that makes it a lot easier to see, oh wait, the strategic layer of this game is actually kind of borked. And it's just absurdly easy to build an empire in 200 years. And that's not actually that fun compared to big dramatic swings in power as you try to go from a count to a duke or a duke to a king. And that's, that. yeah, there's like, Paradox has gotten good at making interfaces and they've gotten good at making attractive maps but part of the joy of some of the other games was just figuring out how to unpack all the bullshit and like that in and of itself is a game and when they when they make that easier to do it becomes easier to see the problems with the simulation I'm just spitballing here. This is not like 100% my theory about everything that's gone wrong with Paradox, <laughs> but it does kind of align with like, yeah, Vicky 3 is a game that does kind of have a smoothness to it, at least in what you think that you can do with it and like how it tells you what's going to happen or when, you, when you're when you like trying to change how your society works and all that. Um, these things are you you see your percentage chances you see your your meter going up and it's like yes this is a thing that is going to happen in the way that i expect that it will and then like i don't know maybe having collisions of interface bullshit with systems bullshit do hilarious things is uh actually more fun
0: yeah i mean my my pet peeve with crusader kings 3 that very much lines up with what you're saying is what I've called on the show before spouse Amazon where like they've taken something that should be both mechanically and narratively interesting in a game where you play as a hereditary medieval ruler, which is finding a good match for your children and making alliances and all this stuff. And they've turned it into something where you open a menu and you sort by optimal parameters and then you hit marriage and like, uh, like, that's not good. That's, yeah, that's, it's really, it's, it's terrible, honestly. I, I, I love Crusader Kings 3, but I hate that specific aspect of Crusader Kings 3. Um, right. yeah.
1: Yeah. And, you know, that's, <laughs> the, when I was initially playing it, like, yeah, that's part of it. But the one, big one that stood out to me was like, you can click on a county and then see who you can invite that has a claim to that county. And just like, now you have a CB on that county. Yeah. And like, that's just, you could do that in CK 2 but it was not like a thing that was immediately accessible. You had to kind of like learn all the systems and figure out, okay, now here's how I'm going to manipulate it. I have become an expert, ha ha ha. And this is just like, yeah, see, see a county, take a county, have fun.
0: Well, we spent nearly an hour talking about things that largely about things that went wrong with strategy games <laughs> yeah. in 2023 so, so um, to finish this up real yeah. quick
1: i i have mentioned for Access as the third big game company that didn't really have a good year and that's mostly because for Access didn't actually do much and i'm looking forward to what they do do this is not that they have done something horribly wrong i was perfectly fine with their civilization thing but yeah, for X is only lumped in here because we didn't get a big announcement, and not because, uh, at least I think that they did anything wrong.
0: Right, and I think a lot of people were expecting a Save Seven announcement because yeah. it yeah. has been so long compared to like how long it usually <clears throat> is between yeah. the final expansion coming out, the final major expansion coming out for the previous one, and then the announcement of the next one. Uh, we're, we're overdue for it, so. Um, By certain standards, like I'm
1: <laughs> I'm not opposed to them taking time to bake right. the Civilization 6, but it is longer between civilizations than any other time since the series started, which is, uh, it seems kind of absurd to say because like, I don't know, time has just moved so differently that it's like, yeah, Civ 6, that's still pretty new, but no, it's not actually.
0: Uh, so yeah, things that uh, that went well in in strategy games for 2023. Um, S- so and- I realized, <laughs> yeah, two of
1: my favorite shows for three of May that I have put together were on um survival strategy games. Hmm. And just like going over what this new subgenre is, and like what games are sort of defining it and so on. So a survival strategy game is like Dwarf Fortress and RimWorld and Oxygen Not Included and vanished and games like that. Uh, and then uh, we did another one like that on tactical management game, which is things like Darkest Dungeon, Battle Brothers, uh, and like I would include Football Manager in this, but yeah, XCOM uh-huh. games where you're like, you have a squad that you're trying to take through a campaign and there's both like, a tactical level of it. And also like an overall thing. Um, And as I was looking at this list of games that you had put together and the things that worked and like when I was talking about how genres that we, we liked were starting to come to maturity. I was like, Oh, both of those genres did really fucking well this year.
2: Yes, they did. Yeah. Yeah. They've been Um,
0: listening to me. Of course, this the, the every strategy developer should be listening to three moves ahead to, uh, and specifically uh,
1: to Rowan Kaiser, who is launching a <laughs> consulting service soon. <laughs> there uh, you go. Keep keep a keep an ear and eye on three moves ahead, and you will find out how to contact me. But uh, yeah, I will be available for helping you for money.
0: Yes, very very uh, very. Um uh self-referential ad read of the week uh (laughs) we're not we're not selling you mattresses we're not selling you vpns uh but uh yeah rowan will definitely help you tell you how to make your game better um so yeah um i suppose i was gonna finish it off with what is what is everybody's favorite strategy game of 2023 but maybe we should maybe we should open with that and then kind of unpack um, why that is. Um,
2: Sure.
1: And you go. I've been I've been jumping in a little too much here.
2: Uh, Never. But uh, Uh, yeah, perish the thought. But um, I I, one of the ones that I think really deserves a uh, a special um, shout out would be um, Shadow Gambit, the cursed crew which um, it's one of those stealth games that Mimi Games makes uh, or made rather. Shadow Shadow Tactics Blades of the Shogun. Um, What was the Western one? Anyway, I had a blast playing that. Desperados 3. Yeah, Desperados. Okay. Yeah. But it just, I felt like that was, it's an amazing story because uh, we don't have to go into it in depth or anything, but man, it's just, it feels so good to play that game. Everything works. It feels like a studio just operating at its like at the peak of its powers, and they put that game out, and then uh, announced some DLC, launched it, and said, "That's it, we're done," and they closed the studio. <laughs> so uh, amazing, wow. but uh, yeah, that was one of my favorite experiences this year. And I, I, it's one that I I didn't get to play nearly enough of it. I think we only covered it for a quick review. So there's plenty more for me to uh, to, to dig into, and I'm I'm really looking forward to it. Because um, that is that's definitely just uh, boy, that was just a fun game to play. this year, yeah,
0: yeah. and also just yeah. a, another tie into the theme of like how it's been <laughs> great year for games, bad games, bad year for the industry. Like they they couldn't continue doing what they're doing, even though they were making something that I really don't think is anything like any what anyone else is making, oh. and very much enhanced the tactics landscape. By existing,
1: um, yeah, and, these yeah. these sort of stealth tactics games are things that like they get a lot of critical acclaim, and the people who love them really love them. Like if you include like Invisible Ink in this, and also the Lamplighters League, uh, but I don't think any of these has ever been like a really high selling game, and especially with uh, the Mimi Me, Me, Me games, they are extremely like um the design is extremely focused it's so detailed like the level design Mm -hmm. is just uh this is all stuff that like you can see the human hands working on or having worked on all of this stuff at a level that's like it's not randomized like invisible ink there's not like a cheat code behind it for making this stuff easy it's like they want this to be an embedded experience that is exactly what exactly the best that they can make it and that's really really cool and i would imagine that the margins on those kinds of games even if they do well were pretty terrible like you want to you want a game that's either easy to make and can sell lots or if it's hard to make, it could like continue selling for years. And these are neither of those. And yeah, that's that. That I I can see exactly why it didn't work. I can see why the Lamplighters League just completely sunk. Um, and that's sort of sad that like these cool stealth tactics games just don't have that big appeal because they are really really well put together.
0: And I think it's so refreshing to get those types of games, those types of like, you know, at the risk of sounding like the most annoying person ever, ever artisanal, you know, where you can you can see the human work that went into every detail, especially in a year where like mm-hmm. an, another very disappointing game for me that's not a strategy game, Starfield, which is like 90% procedurally generated blah like gruel. And you know, it's it's a year when yeah, you know, there's a lot of rumblings about like AI taking jobs away from real artists. Like, I, I really like to see those types of games uh, where, Same here. where every, everything is just very handcrafted.
1: I only play bespoke <laughs> games. <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, but we like that we kind of are pr- like I think ready to like make fun of ourselves or be self-deprecating about like liking hipster stuff basically just because that was such a uh, easy to kick around um, insult for the past, well, uh, I guess a decade ago now, but, um, but that's going to become more important. I think that like being able to see the fingerprints of the creators in the work is I think going to become a much more valuable thing going forward because of this. um, I think wholly, Wrong-headed push towards AI-generated content and uh, and procedural generation like that that that's not going to work the way that everybody at OpenAI and Microsoft wants it to. I don't think, no. but it, but it will create a new interest in those kind of signs, the verifiability, I guess, of something being handcrafted. I think are going to be that's going to be a premium um, very shortly.
0: Yeah. Well, and I don't uh, more than I it don't... is now. I don't even want to necessarily shoot down the entire idea of procedural generation in games because it's been around forever. But I think part of being a good game designer is knowing how and where to use procedural generation. And, you know, uh, I would I would like nominate something like Starfield as an example of using it in the wrong ways (laughs) like using procedural generation very poorly which seems like it's becoming more common in the games industry at large
1: well lynn would you like to segue into another (laughs) artisanally crafted game that we love or would you like to segue into an extremely good procedurally generated game that we love
0: uh well i will say my my strategy game of the year for 2023 is definitely against the storm which yes. is is a game uh, yes. that uses procedural generation a lot better <laughs> um, but also feels handcrafted and cozy like that's it's it combines those two things. you can you can have both. you have like I I had so much more fun this year with like my little beavers and my little you know my little harpies than I did trying to figure out why immigration doesn't work in the lumbering simulation that is Victoria three. I was just like, I don't know. I think I'm coming back around to like, maybe simpler is better, uh, you know, for the types of games that I'm interested in at this point in my life. um, Congrats to Soren Johnson on winning the debate. (laughs) Right, because like the the impetus for that show was that I disagreed with Soren and now I'm like, oh man, like combat yeah, in maybe, Old World is really good. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's like four four basic types of units, and so like yeah, I don't know, but
2: maybe we just need to be playing Warcraft three mods again.
0: <laughs> oh man, yeah. If Microsoft, can you? Can you do Warcraft 3 Re-Reforge but like do it right and then bring back like the custom map browser and stuff. <laughs> yeah, do that but good this time and yeah. yeah.
2: It's
0: praying I feel like a a like a like a freaking Sumerian peasant praying to these like gods that clearly hate humans. <laughs> When <laughs> I'm like Microsoft, you own this now. Please, can you d- do it right? I, I will, uh, I will give you my fattest hog. Um, yeah.
2: <laughs> I have sent in a supplication with a new <sighs> uh, Windows 11 license. I think when I had to buy another more motherboard this, uh, this year, so I should be good for uh for the season uh, coming up. I think.
0: Yeah. Uh, the gods of your plea for rain. Exactly. Um. Uh, yeah, I yeah. mean
1: Against the Storm is like a perfect example of a procedurally generated game because you have you have the procedural generation working on two like conceptual levels here. You have the traditional sort of city builder aspect of it where it lays you down on a new map and you figure out how to, you know, work your way around that map and make the things that you need to work work, but it's also got the Slay the Spire like uh sort of deck that you are building. Uh, You're building a deck with buildings that it gives you instead of cards and also the cornerstones, which are kind of the buffs that you get as you play. And you're trying to make this all work. And both of those things are randomized, but they are randomized in creating an experience that's like, all right, I'm building a city for an hour or two. And that city is going to work depending on how these things, how I can work with the choices that I've been given and it's usually really fun to play. And that's, if you can make that fun to play, you know, 95% of the time, you've got yourself a real winner. And if you can make it an attractive, an attractive, like, attractively aesthetic place to hang out in, which it gets the store most certainly is, uh, then you're you've basically got a fantastic strategy game right there. And it is. Uh, yeah, in terms of like a pure strategy game, I think it's the clear game of the year for me, and it's been my game of the year for the last two years in that respect in some ways. Uh, similar to yeah. Darkest Dungeon, which I kept giving game of the year to while it was in early access, uh, Against the Storm is is in that same kind of, yep, I keep playing this, and I keep loving it.
2: Um, I started and- a new Against the Storm save on uh, our Twitch channel, uh, at 3MA Live at twitch.tv yes. if you want to check that out but uh yeah and it was just a reminder oh yeah this game rocks this is fantastic and exactly what i want to play for probably six hours and way way past bedtime
1: yeah so, and, like it's 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 both like an interesting challenge and oddly soothing to play i think part of that is yeah. that you know your games are going to be done in two hours so uh even if you fail you've still got like you haven't like ruined a whole thing you don't have decision fatigue about what to do next it's just all right i failed try to time to move on and go again and yeah it's uh we we did a second show on it a few weeks ago so i don't know that we need to get in too many of the details but i i completely agree that uh as far as pure strategy games go that's that's an easy winner for the year
0: yeah as as far as pure strategy games go (laughs) Because obviously, if I'm allowed to pick Baldur's Gate 3, I'm going to pick Baldur's Gate 3. Yes, Baldur's Uh,
1: Gate 3 was the game (laughs) that I mentioned for a fully, a handcrafted artisanal experience. Um, Baldur's Gate 3 is also a game of the year in a realm that we deal with, which is uh, tactical RPGs. Um, It is significantly more of an embedded narrative than usually we deal with with that kind of thing but the tactics are pretty hardcore and it's a real good game so it is it is a strategy
0: game for for our purposes this year and it was really you what, oh go go ahead
2: Ian. well the, like the thing that i've written this in a couple of things that i've written about Baldur's gate 3 over the past year but like what i like about uh what I like best about it, and I think this applies both to you know Baldur's Gate 3 as a role-playing experience, but also as a tactics um, experience, is that it, it very much feels like the, the good kind of dungeon master who will try to accommodate the most harebrained player at the table. When, Mm -hmm. you know, like, you know, if somebody wants to really stretch the rules and say, Hey, could I use mage hand to maybe, and they'll (laughs) respond with, well, you can certainly try and come up with a role for it. And, uh, and I think that like Baldur's Gate 3 very much is made in that spirit. And that's what makes it so much fun. Not just from like the role playing is great. Like the characters are all amazing. The uh, performances that everybody put in, those are like, it's lavish. But when it comes to like just being generous in terms of giving you options and and freedom to try to express yourself through the D and D fifth edition rule set, man, I mean, I, I've never come as close to the tabletop experience as I did playing uh Baldur's Gate three.
0: And it's, yeah, I and- think it's it's really a an evolution of, um, you know, sort of the 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 standard that Bioware set with Dragon Age and Mass Effect, where those are those are both games where you're very penned in, and there's like a very small number of verbs that you have mm. access to um, at any given time. Um, and and now we're kind of seeing the way it's evolving, especially through Larian and you know the Divinity games, and now Baldur's Gate three is just making that world more interactable in a wider variety of ways um, on top of like the companions that you love to write fan fiction and make not so safe for work art about um, not speaking for personal experience or anything. <laughs> uh, and, you know, the, the sweeping plot with these momentous moral decisions and like stuff that, that, uh, you know, I think Bioware kind of set the standard for if we're going to talk about another studio that, has kind of fallen uh, quite a ways from their peak. (laughs) Um, And, and, you know, Larian has kind of picked that up and that's what they've added to the stew is this kind of like finer, more interesting interactions with the world itself.
1: Well, I have an article on this subject coming out very soon at a website near and dear to our hearts, I hope. I don't know exactly what the schedule is on that, but if you would like... It's a, a severely detailed argue, ar, argument on this subject about where BioWare has gone wrong, where Larian has gone right, where this game fits in. Like, these things are all, uh, yeah, there's there's a lot more of that soon, I hope. Um, but specifically, I think this also fits in with, like, what I was saying about uh, these sort of subgenres that have been Coming out within the last decade or so, where we've had the tactical management game that's that's really spiked after XCOM, and we've had the survival strategy game that's spiked after Dwarf Fortress and Rimworld. Uh, this is within the genre of the the traditional isometric RPG that's spiked after Pillars of Eternity and uh, we are seeing like all these, all these games, the Pathfinders, the Wastelands, the Torment Tides of Numenera, the Shadow Runs. like all of these games have been building on trying to create this like artisanal RPG, uh, perspective that, uh, Larian has done so well here, um and Larian also with the the DivSyn games was very much a part of this story. And Larian is taking advantage of these 10 years of people working on, okay, how do we make these like classic forms of RPGs really exciting and interesting? How do we make tactical combat good? How do we uh, make the moral choices stand out? Like, this is. These are questions that have been bubbling up and Baldur's Gate has really good answers for these in part because it's based on 30 years of RPGs in part because it's based specifically on 10 years of other games trying to answer these questions and in part because they did release it into early access and have been tweaking based on having an excited player base for three years. And then when the game officially came out, and the people who were like early access for an epic RPG, I think I'll wait. Uh, those people were rewarded by waiting. And uh, they were rewarded with the most exciting story-based RPG since the heyday of Mass Effect. And I'm not saying this because Pillars of Eternity 2, and and especially, I think that's, that's my favorite of the batch. Uh, Disco Elysium for many other people, also great. Um, I'm not saying that because those games were like significantly worse than Baldur's Gate three, but that Lariat is scratching an itch that both of those games had, but also the sort of mass effect style itch that uh, has been largely missing since mass effect three except in sporadic and not especially good ways. And like this is, it's neat to see these things come to fruition. It's, need to have a Baldur's Gate game that I can love because they've actually realized that the uh, real time with pause combat kind of blows. Um, (laughs) And it's also neat to see them taking the idea of like the original Baldur's Gate games were supposed to be like the closest thing to a tabletop simulation uh, you, of you sitting around playing D&D with your pals, Baldur's Gate 3 is like taking that idea and being like, okay, let's really have this game take the role of the dungeon master in a positive way and not simply a way that makes it easier, but in a way that makes it actually more fun. So as as Ian said, you can do weird shit. And this shit is stuff that has been like worked on in the DivSyn games, especially where there was like a whole lot of emergent narrative stuff that you could do by stacking boxes or tossing uh, elements around and mixing, like, water and lightning and making a making a charged pool and all these cool things. And Baldur's Gate 3 is, like, carrying on with that and doing it in a way that, like, uh, the rest of the world stands up and takes notice in a very exciting way.
0: It also, I think, pushes back against again this this trend of like some of our favorite games this year are pushing back against some things that are becoming calcified in the industry that we don't like and um there's a youtuber named kyle bozeman who pointed this out um but uh there's there's a path in Baldur's gate 3 where you can transform into a sentient cheese wheel and uh sven vinka (laughs) who's the the uh the head of of larian the head of the studio uh gave an interview where he was talking about like, you know, a lot of people won't ever see this. Obviously, it's not an, you know, efficient use of resources to include the cheese wheel path in the game. Uh, But they did it anyway. And I think that's really refreshing when you hear things from a company like BioWare where they're like, they're all up on their metrics and like how uh, doing alternate paths, like every Every minute of gameplay costs, you know, ten thousand yeah. dollars or something like that. It's like, no, just don't think about it that way, man. Like you're 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 killing me. You're killing me. Yeah. Just do the cheese wheel. Do the cheese wheel path. Just put it in the game. Like, don't worry so much about. Uh, yeah. Well, this that... this is like this is like
1: to go back to Ultima, which is uh Larry, one of larian's big founding founding principles of like uh when they're making the divson games and you can see it too in um obviously larian existed before divson but divson was like okay this is the game we really want to make um, and they specifically said we want this to be like ultima 7 and there's a famous example from when ultima online was coming out and players were like asking pr people or like community managers or or someone who was a player facing role. There's some kind of interview where the person giving the interview was like talking about um, it actually might've been Ultima nine and not Ultima online, but uh, it was in the late nineties after Ultima's heyday had passed and they were kind of trying to bring it back. And the players were all talking about like, okay, so can you manipulate the objects in this game? Can you like take flour and roll, roll dough in it to create, a thing that you did then put in the oven and cook and you're baking bread. And well, and the, the, the person who's giving the interview is like, no, that's not a thing that we're working on. We're working on like having the best story. And uh the people kept pressing him about it. He was like, look, Ultima isn't about baking bread. And then the players were like, yes, Ultima is exactly yeah, about baking. It bread.
2: is about that. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yes. And, you know, Larian makes games with that sensibility. It's, uh, not quite at the same level of simulation of Baldur's Gate 3 but there's a whole lot of weird quirky shit that you can do in that that you could certainly couldn't do in Ultima like create a sentient cheese wheel for yourself and like they they want that shit to be there they want to create those weird system interactions that are very silly and uh yeah, this'll this'll take us back to victoria 3 right or, or victoria 2 and 3 where you were saying that it doesn't feel as silly anymore um Baldur's gate 3 allows you to do completely ridiculous shit and see what happens and sometimes it's a disaster and you reload and sometimes it's hilarious and a disaster and you don't reload
2: <laughs> well and i mean one of the functions that those little <clears throat> i mean easter eggs is not the right word i don't think but like those weird little moments, those those strange paths that you can you can find. Or I mean, in addition to being the thumbprints of the developers that I I love to see that this is something that that people actually made, uh, they just expand the like the possibility space that the, these games exist in in my mind. Like all of a sudden the horizon has just gotten so much bigger when you understand that, like, uh, wait a minute, I could just drop this thing off this, like, uh, it, and it works. It's a great thing about immersive Sims. Like, wait a minute. Like all of a sudden, you know, your brain starts working on all these different possibilities because the bound, you haven't found the boundaries of what's possible in this game yet. Yeah. And that and that's such a special place for them to be in. And when, when like you don't know what a game's capable of doing yet, You don't know the boundaries around, you know, what that possibility space is. It's really exciting. And that, that I think is where Baldur's Gate, I mean, that really helps it and other uh, games that Larian's made uh, really shine.
1: Yeah. And this is a a thing that I think has, um, it shows up a lot in the way that uh, moral choices and just like narrative possibilities within these stories has, uh, has been used and i think bioware kind of ran away from that because of what lynn was saying where like when you have a moral choice or a choice in the game simply for its own sake um simply for the idea of having some kind of divergent pathway that actually hurts the way that you create the game because like you have to you have to write the rest of the game as if a player has done either choice, which means that that choice ends up kind of not really mattering. And I think as, um, as BioWare's big series, Dragon Age and Mass Effect progressed, they kind of started running into that. We're like the big choice at the end of Mass Effect 2, where you decide whether to keep the, uh, the baby Reaper head or not, and give it to Cerberus, uh, is completely irrelevant. Like it shows up in the background of the Cerberus mission in Mass Effect Three if you keep it, and that's about it. There's
0: I didn't there's even nothing... remember that was a choice. That's how little yeah. it matters.
1: Yeah, <laughs> and it, it,
0: it completely it's it's
1: completely irrelevant in Mass Effect Three. Uh, it might change like the numbers you get in the 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 war war readiness or whatever but not like in any in any way that's relevant to how you're playing it unless you've got like one of those mods that makes that that shit all a lot bigger um so yeah the choices like that didn't really work and i think that made bioware extremely wary of going forward with strong choices so dragon age inquisition and mass effect Andromeda, and especially anthem all like ran away from consistently having these moral choices for what they did but the thing that those choices actually did two things that were really important even when like the the technical your choices matter tm uh uh wasn't as exciting as it promised um the first thing they do is that they they reinforce what you have done in the game. If you make a choice in the game and your companion starts saying, oh man, I don't know about that. I would have done this. Or it's like, yeah, I can see why you made that choice. It might've been hard, but I respect you more for, for, for doing that. It's like, yes, this game understands and is reinforcing that I did a thing. That's really important. That's really cool. Like sports games do this. They have announcers that tell you that you did a thing. And if the sports game is on and those announcers are accurately describing that thing, then that's really cool. Uh, If it's broken and those announcers are not describing the thing accurately, it's hilarious. Uh, But usually that's hilarious in a way that's at least interesting. Um, The second thing that these choices do that's really important that goes along with what you were talking about and what Baldur's Gate 3 does really well is they expand that space of ideas of what you're supposed to do in a way that like advertises and excites the game, either for you to continue playing or start another game or you to tell your friends about, here's a thing that you can do in this. And isn't that cool. And then everyone's like, wow, if you can do that, then really what else can you do? And it like makes the game feel more exciting in your brain accurately. In this case, some games that's not as much the case, but like, When I talk about Mass Effect One, one of the things that you can do in that game, if you like, wait and don't go and recruit Liara until the absolute last possible need that you have to go to that last planet. Liara is like going insane in the bubble that she's in. (laughs) There's like a a whole conversation that you can have with her where she's like, "Are you real? What's happening?" Because like she's been there for weeks. That's that's not great, and it's like. That's it's kind of silly. It's kind of pointless. You rescue her and she's fine, and that's all. That's all good. Uh, but just the idea of knowing that someone has crafted a funny little thing that will happen if you happen to play in a way that's kind of weird, then that's exciting. Yes, something's it's exciting. The,
2: the world here is paying attention to what I'm doing in a way right. that I wasn't. Yes. Yeah.
1: The world is paying attention. A person has thought about this and said, yeah. "Okay, yeah, this is possible." So let's reward people for doing something that's weird and impossible. It's like the cheese wheel, yeah. and it's like the thing we were talking about with the crafted games, like the Mimi Me, Me, Me games. Baldur's Gate three is so crafted. Like the world, like it's not doesn't have procedurally generated anything. I think um, maybe the loot. Uh, but. Um, like all of the all of the dungeons all of the overworld like you are exploring a thing that is built for you to explore you are talking to characters who have had every line written by writers who just like only worked on those characters for 2 years uh these things all add up to feeling like a really exciting game where if you compare that to like Anthem or something like that just exists to put you into a different combat zone, and you do the same combat from a slightly different angle every time. Like that shit is wearying. Like you said, you played Destiny, Ian. I I know that Destiny is a game that often feels good, but it is a game that exists to put you into a bunch of procedurally yeah. generated combats. Yeah. Uh, Baldur's Gate 3 like when you do a combat it's done there's not like a randomized thing that's going to happen and you were you have made a sense of progress you will have characters react you will get loot that the fancy loot is going to be specifically because of that battle and it feels really nice to have a game like that uh yeah. in, in a world where it seems like the big RPG creators um Obsidian is still going strong with whatever deal they've cut with Microsoft that they get a one for me, one for you type of deal. And that's pretty exciting, but like Bioware, uh, just disastrous. Yeah. CD project Red, like they invested everything into cyberpunk and maybe that's good. And maybe that's not now. It's, uh, it's but-
0: good now. 2.0 is very good. <laughs> if you know. like, I, if you like the type of game cyberpunk is, it's very Yeah. Good, but-
1: But yeah, there's Um, there's been this this sort of consistently everything has been getting shittier. And Baldur's Gate Three is like, no, you pay the amount of money that this game is, and you will get this full damn experience. And we are not going to make this game shittier at you constantly and nickel and dime you. And like the things that it does, it does really well. Like I'm in full agreement about the tactical combat. D&D 5th edition has its problems, but Baldur's Gate 3 is a really good example of how to try to make that work in a fun way, um, but yeah, it's... it's Yeah,
0: Well, and especially as strategy fans, I think it's a very big deal how handcrafted the combat encounters feel in terms of the types of enemies it uses, the types of enemies that it it puts together that have like complementary abilities and like the geometry of the spaces you fight in. Like there are pure tactics games that aren't nearly as good on a tactical level as Baldur's Gate three, which has a lot of other stuff to think about on top of that
2: is. Um, One thing too, on the tactical battles is almost every one of them. it, It very, very rarely throws mooks at you. You're always almost always fighting characters like fully developed voiced characters in the story even if they're minor ones yeah. I mean, like i i think that that went a long way for me uh in, in selling i don't know like when i was figuring out you know each tactical situation there was part of me that had wondered have i is this politics by other means have i failed the like I, there should have probably been a, a better resolution to this um I don't know. I, I thought that really elevated those those um, encounters a lot, too. There was they just every fight kind of felt fraught mm-hmm. um, and desperate that way. So, yeah, just an aside. But I liked that a lot.
0: I, I feel like Baldur's Gate three very much did get the buzz it deserved. Um, I do also want to shout out the other very good tactical RPG that came out this year, which is Jagged Alliance three. Um I I which has actually a fairly rich strategic layer on it too, where you're capturing territory and like training militia in these various villages that are going to get attacked when you're not there and stuff like that. Um If if you are kind of like Jones and for new XCOM type stuff, I'd say give it a shot. If you really like that feeling of like you got the squad of soldiers that you're leveling up and you've got like your sniper and your heavy gunner and like your shotgun door kicker person. Like it doesn't scratch all the same itches that XCOM does, but it scratches a lot of them for me. Um, And uh, yeah, it's in 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 the uh, the tactical RPG world. That's the other one from this year that I think is definitely worth uh, dipping your toes into Um, when yeah.
1: You put another tactical RPG on the list that I haven't actually heard much about, so I want you to tell me about Persona 5 Tactica.
0: Yeah. Um, obviously, Persona 5 is one of my, like, full-stop favorite games of all time, and I have, like... Again, I'm, I'm almost quoting for my review here. I have a weird relationship with Persona 5 spinoff games because I feel like... Persona 5 was just such a great standalone experience that they they should have just let it be and maybe not done anything else with it. Um, but I got paid to review this, so I ended up paying it, playing it anyway, and it's very good. I was impressed with how well Atlas was kind of able to translate a lot of what works about the turn-based JRPG combat in the mainline persona games into tactics game that that uses space as like an additional element, because the if you don't know, the mainline Persona games are very much a, uh, a progression of the, you know, you line up like Final Fantasy with your four guys against their four guys and, and you know, attack each other. Um, and uh, yeah, it's just very charming. I mean, it, it's the music is great as it was in the original Persona five. Uh, the story is kind of an interesting taking the same concepts that persona 5 was grappling with but kind of in in a new way that's like familiar but also different um it has some kind of uh like revolution insurrectionary revolutionary themes to it that like weren't perfectly executed I don't think but on balance, I, I it comes out with a with a positive message. If if a bit flawed in in how it um maybe presents that in the fine details, um, I should do. I, I really should do like a video essay on how like Persona Five is one of the best leftist games of all time. At some point,
2: wow. uh, <laughs> hey, um, I, I would watch. <laughs>
0: Uh, Yeah, it's it's one of the most like genuinely like high praxis revolutionary games that I've ever played, Um, it, even in some ways that aren't super obvious. But uh, yeah, I liked it. Uh, I, I I ended up liking it in spite of the fact that I feel sort of the same way about Persona 5 spinoff games as I do about Final Fantasy 7 spinoff games, where it was like it was amazing. It was iconic. Just leave it alone. Um, I feel that way about Star Wars sometimes too. Oh God. (laughs) Um,
1: so so if I still have not like actually clicked with a full Persona 5 campaign, but felt like a tactics game was maybe more my speed right now.
0: (sighs) Um, I think, and I did also say this in my review, you will be very confused if you haven't played up to the end of the second semester in persona 5 because it okay. doesn't really care at all at reintroducing these characters or telling you what they're about so i think you okay. already kind of need to have an emotional connection to the cast to have like a a an optimal experience with tactica um that, that's fine yeah, i just yeah. i just kidding, yeah. <laughs> so so
2: I wanted to play uh, Persona 5 Strikers because oh. I like the even dumber uh, Koei games uh, <laughs> called Dynasty Warriors that are about the Three Kingdoms. Um, Here, this, but is a safe, out- this is a safe
0: space <laughs> for Musa fans. We, yeah. <laughs> yes.
1: But I, I, found I have out definitely that you need- put my time in. To- <laughs> yeah.
2: yeah. <laughs> um, but like, I found out that you needed to have... Like you needed to know the story of yeah. Persona Five because it gets, picks up right after. Just, yeah, it's a and direct like, sequel. Yeah, yeah. So, like, what's the time commitment like on the game? Because I, 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 I thought it was kind of on the long side, and so well, I thought, well, what I'll do is I'll watch the anime instead.
0: Oh, it's and terrible. It out, yeah. It's a terrible
2: well, is, is it terrible? I don't know. I, I'm coming to the like maybe I'm old and just don't like no anime like at all even
0: even people who are mega fans of the game hate the persona 5 anime
2: okay yeah because uh, i watched <laughs> an epi- a, half an episode of that and i was like i, I can't do this
0: well you like cyberpunk uh, right
2: i do yeah
0: uh have you played as female v in cyberpunk
2: you know what no i haven't
0: okay i was gonna say because shirami lay who is female v in cyberpunk which i think is one of the best video game protagonist performances probably ever is also Makoto who is the best character in persona five. So I was, yeah. was going to say, just right. think of it as like a, this is the backstory of a younger V because for me, it was the opposite. I was like, Oh, okay. I'm playing as grown up Makoto in this game. And that, that's
2: cool. That uh, was, uh, so, well, yeah. I mean, when so, <laughs> you laugh very hard when I asked about the time commitment, like what is, uh, it's like 120 hours, right? Like to yeah, get roll- through
0: which is like the version you should play because the yeah. original P5 that came out in 2017 or whatever, Royal is just an enhanced and longer and better version of it that improves everything about it in pretty much every way, except maybe the ending cut scene I could quibble about. Um, yeah, it's going to be like 120 hours. The original was like 90 hours um, for me. Oh. So, uh, But I love it. Ooh. It's one of my top 10 favorite games of all time, but I can see why not everybody <laughs> would be able to commit to it the way that I did. So, um,
2: all right. When I take all my, uh, maybe I'll have time when I take all these, uh, Warhammer, mini painting yeah. skills, and, uh, and, yeah. and skill up as a, uh, right. successful nail tech. Um, I'll have time <laughs> to play personified.
0: <laughs> oh yeah.
1: Um, so speaking of tactics, we also had some some more strategic tactics games this year that were mm-hmm. pretty exciting. Yeah. Uh, we did a show on War Tales, which I know mm-hmm. also made your top ten list, Lynn.
0: Yep, um, I War Tales is the game that I keep like getting back into, and then like I'll have a review assignment show up the next day. It's like I haven't gotten very far beyond that like first area. Um, yeah. But I've enjoyed all of the time that I've spent with it, and I'm hoping to finish it <laughs> at some point. Um, yeah, I, I really like it. I like the world design. I like the art direction. The tactical battles are interesting. And, and uh, um, what's the verb I'm looking for here? We've been podcasting for... <laughs> For too long at this point. That uh the sense of danger is is very cool the sense that like your your guys aren't invincible is uh your guys and girls are not invincible is is something I really like in a tactics game. Um maybe not quite to the degree of Battle Brothers, but it's like somewhere right. between Battle Brothers and Firaxis XCOM, I think is the sweet spot and that's that's kind of where War Tales lives. Um Yeah. yeah. I feel like it's
1: it's a really good example of like the Battle Brothers model of the the um the mercenary company traversing a dangerous world It's got a mm-hmm. lot more of it embedded maps and specific like very strong narrative quests where Battle Brothers was a little more procedural uh The Iron Oath is another game that got its full release this year that I have been playing a little bit of, and it feels like someone just put in took the the concepts of darkest dungeon and battle brothers and put them together which is very appealing to me uh mm-hmm. it also has like an aesthetic uh, a very like hyper pixelized uh very dense uh pixelized aesthetic that i think it's both appealing and also somewhat off putting um anyway the iron oath is a game that like it's it's an example of the maturity of this uh Uh, the tactical management game that's a genre that has come out. And I think it's a really interesting example of it, but it's also like so Battle Brothers and so Darkest Dungeon. And like, I'm not sure the aesthetic fully works, but it's like, it's just on this weird border of like being exactly a game that I want and also something being incredibly off-putting about it. But it's it's definitely a game that uh, I want to try at least one more time to really, really focus on and see if I'm definitely bouncing off of it or I just had was playing when I was having a bad day last time. Uh, but I would also potentially do a show on that one too. Uh, we should.
0: Uh, yeah, I know Nier has been playing it as well. So, or yeah. did play it in early access, so...
1: Yeah, we there's also a couple more games in this genre that were a little less uh, a little less easy to recommend. Um, Phantom Brigade, which I believe, yeah, we did do a show on that, which mm-hmm. I know that many of us were like super excited for when the demo came out um, because you had this like you had mechs, you had like a sort of like seeing the future and adapting like what you knowing what your opponent's moves are going to be and having to adapt to them. And like all these really cool things that are all stuff we like. And then it came out and kind of didn't have a personality in any way whatsoever. And that's, that, that's just really hard to really hard to deal with in, in this, uh, uh, with so many good tactics games out there that, like the intro, the, the intro in the first couple levels, like don't even name the countries that you're fighting over. It's just like, oh, the enemy has suddenly invaded, and it's like, give me some weird fantasy <laughs> names, people. Yeah, is... the, the,
0: the yeah. top the top gun method. Of... Yeah,
2: <laughs> it's a shame because on paper, mechanically, it's a perfect tactics game, almost like specifically designed for anybody who spent a lot of time editing podcasts.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, particularly this podcast, right? Uh,
0: yeah,
2: uh-huh. but it is. You I mean, know? that's the, the the kind of the the mechanics of it are like you're yeah. you're fitting your mechs, your units moves into an overlapping timeline the way that you would yeah. edit audio or video.
1: Yeah, it's it's very it's a very cool it's idea. Such a smart like, idea. I yeah. hope that I hope that there's a Phantom Brigade two or they they take the realization that they have put together a good system and add it into a game that has like characters that would be cool <laughs> yeah. um the other the other game like since we're talking about uh, essentially darkest dungeon descendants is that darkest dungeon 2 got a full release this year and that was also so a game that we were somewhat mixed on like it it seems like it seems like red hook the people who made it just never quite settled on like what this game should feel like to move through it and that became a bigger and bigger issue as it got released. And if you're and when you're trying to when you're trying to write a review, where you're actually finishing the game, and you have to do these boss fights that want very specific things, when you've been like developing your characters just to be kind of cute and uh, do fun little things that you think might be useful every now and then, and like no, and then it's like no, you didn't you didn't bring a man at arms. You're screwed, and that's <laughs> not it. it yeah it's it it felt like it was like a slightly narrower focused more narrative based game than the original darkest dungeon but without actually figuring out how to like take the wide range of characters and skills and customizability that darkest dungeon had and uh because of that it it Darkest Dungeon 1 felt like a game that fit. Like, even though it was incredibly long, even though it was difficult, even though it had all these things kind of standing against it, it all felt like it fit in a way that was just so exciting to play, even if you knew you were never, ever going to finish it. And Darkest Dungeon 2 is a game that's like, yeah, I could probably finish this, but it doesn't feel as excitingly put together. Uh, Mm -hmm. It's still good.
0: Yeah, and, and interestingly, like, I don't know that I ever, you know, will aspire to finish this necessarily but as a counterpoint one thing that i've noticed with just the way that everything is presented in darkest dungeon 2 we've done two episodes on it at this point so you can hear a lot more of our other thoughts but as far as something that i've noticed more recently about it is that it is a really fun game to just like drop in and do one little quick run in and i think a lot of that has to do with the feeling of movement like just the feeling of momentum that like, all right, this carriage is going and we don't know if it's going to like fall into a ditch and light on fire or we're going to make it to the boss. But I do think that that's kind of, it's not motivating in the sense that you're describing where it's like, um, in the same ways that darkest Dungeon one was, but it is motivating in the sense of like, I can jump into this game and do a run. And it, it kind of has a, sort of like breakneck intensity to it where like i don't really notice how much time has passed because you know it's 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 constant it's a game that's constantly moving and that does something for me psychologically um the the game is really
1: good like the the animations how the road trip works like all these all these things feel really great to play. It's just that when you think about the systems a little bit more on the outside, it, it starts to feel a little weird.
0: Yeah. And as far as that, I think you, again, you basically nailed it in saying that the changes made from Darkest Dungeon 1 to Darkest Dungeon 2, I understand exactly why they were made, but I wish you hadn't. <laughs> like that was, <laughs> I think, like kind of that, that, that exactly brought together all of the thoughts that I had about this game. Yeah. So. All
1: right. Uh, <laughs> another, one more tactics game to talk about. That's also <laughs> pretty close to my game of the year. Uh, except for some major tech issues, but uh, aliens dark descent is just a blast to play. Like it's a really good aliens feeling game of playing your shitty, shitty colonial Marines. <laughs> as they have a really shitty, shitty, couple of weeks trying to get away from a planet that's been <laughs> taken over by xenomorphs and like calling it a tactics game is weird because it's not that tactical in terms of like you're maneuvering all your individual characters you're just maneuvering them as sort of a little ball of death but it has the sort of tactical feeling of you're scratching the itch in the back of your brain of like yeah, I'm moving my squad. Yeah. I'm developing my squad. I'm getting all these things coming together in a way that like, I'm excited about doing and it captures the feelings of the aliens movies. Um, I went and watched all the bad aliens movies after this. I finally got inspired <laughs> to watch all uh, the controversial ones and the bad ones. Uh, and like, it's, it's, just been a thing that's been sort of in the back of my brain. It's like, yeah, that was a really good experience, except for the bug that ruined my campaign. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, and I know they've done several patches since, and hopefully the next time I play it, I can actually uh, not have my campaign ruined by that bug. Uh, but I am looking forward to someday actually getting through it because it just it felt
2: so good. It really yeah. does I mean I was surprised at how effectively it captures the sense of terror especially in Aliens. Um it it does feel so authentically um like almost I mean alien isolation was no surprise you're right there in like first person sneaking around a ship and about to be murdered that was great but you know that's kind of what you expect from such a zoomed out that isometric tactical view I wasn't, I was not prepared for how well um, Dark Descent does, like, gives you the alien vibes. And it does.
0: It, 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 it just, again, we talked about this when we did an episode on it, but it's, it's just such a, like, well tuned game in terms of, like, being a, like, squad tactics game that's, like, it's, like, about the, impact of like combat trauma where like you start yes. I, I started off not really playing it as a stealth game but then when you realize it, like yeah even running into a xenomorph even if you win that kind of fucks you up a little bit yeah. but, like it's better just not to run into them at all and like it, it really humanizes the characters in a way that I think is pretty probably referential in some way of darkest dungeon. Like we talked about, I think these devs probably played a fair bit of darkest dungeon, or at least it seems that way where it's like, yeah, just because you won the fight doesn't mean you didn't put your soldiers through something like really like upsetting and life changing. And even though that that's not like what the game seems like it's about, that's, actually what it is about if you examine the mechanics on a finer level um which i think is really kind of clever and subtle
2: it's a really smart use of the license too yeah because i mean that (laughs) like the like aliens is a story about you know these this badass group of marines going to a planet and like you get About like 30 minutes of kind of just being amped up or just fed this like idea that these guys are just used to killing everything in front of them. And then they just get completely wrecked in five minutes. Um, So like going, uh, using that as the jump off point for um, like, and how like the the rest of the movie is like survivors in various states of being completely traumatized, managed to get through. And, And so, yeah, I think that's it. Like the premise of the game itself is just a smart read and a and a good use of a of a very popular license that let's face it has been used for like a lot of just crap. Yeah. For a long time.
0: A lot of people who actually thought the point of aliens was like ooh guys with guns shooting bug yeah. monsters. Yeah. Like, yeah. So um Ian, did you have any other like honorable mentions you wanted to?
2: Uh yeah, a couple. I uh early Bye. this year uh had a chance to check out Age of Wonders 4. Um mm-hmm. and I thought that was um that was like I I I'm a fan of the series. I I I and I thought this one was pretty great. Um the um the level of customization and and it, I guess um generational guidance that you get over like creating your own race of people is really amazing in that game. Second to none, really. I don't know that I've ever had that much yeah. uh, control over like what my people actually winds up, like not just looking like and, and professing to believe in things like that, but like the, the very mechanics that govern the way that they work are um, set by decisions that I make mm. throughout my campaign. It, it's just, that's definitely one that's worth lo- uh, looking at. Um yeah
1: you you can turn a race of dwarves into a race of ice giants and it's so cool. Yeah
2: like, yeah it's, just, it's so great. And, like is, and the, there's stuff like yeah, just like there's so much stuff that, to discover like we were talking about too. Yeah.
1: It shows up at the tactical level of the game. Like those dwarves will play differently than they did when they were just regularly dwarves. Now they'll be, you know, bigger and slower and stompier and it's it's really neat how it reinforces both in looks and in uh, in actions or in in sort of mechanical behavior, how uh, how the choices that you have made are manifesting in this kind of creepy fantasy world of like diving down into you know your your wizard trying to trying to win by any means necessary and creating a little a little
2: body horror, horror along the way. It does have that kind of chaos feel to it. Yeah, you're you're being warped and changed by the path that you take in some way.
0: It's also just so uncommon to see a game that like goes all in on like kind of the Civ 4X strategic layer and that also all in on, you know, the tactical battle layer. And they both feel like if this was a standalone game, I would have a good time with it. (laughs) <laughs> like it doesn't yeah. feel like one of them is strong and the other one is like clearly kind of the 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 weaker leg it's like two very strong legs that sort of support each other um, it, it was really Paradox's I mean it's Triumph Studios who is now owned by Paradox their parent company but it was like Paradox's one big win this year <laughs> in a year that like wasn't really great for them um so yeah, at, yeah well, at least critically i don't know about sales but yeah I, uh, like, yeah i don't either but um
1: hopefully this yeah. game did well enough that they can they can work on it for however long is good for them to keep working on
0: it right right yeah um there have already been like i think two three expansions out that have all added pretty interesting new stuff so i need
2: to try that dragons one that the looks dragon weird, one's yeah. really good
0: i i spent yeah. a fair bit of time with the dragon one um yeah um yeah uh right.
1: we got it we got a couple city builders to mention
0: right uh
1: um, and then i think we're we're mostly done
0: uh the the one game that was both on our list and jeff Keeley's list <laughs> was Terra nil <laughs> oh yeah
2: i i mean I... uh <laughs> That's uh,
0: it wasn't even nominated for strategy, it was nominated for something else like games for change or or some some
2: category that clearly Jeff doesn't (laughs) care about either.
0: Yeah, well, he doesn't really care about any of it, but no, um, (laughs) uh, yeah, it was about Kojima showing up, but yeah, yeah.
1: Terra Nil Nil was a, a deconstruction like puzzle, little puzzle slash uh, anti city builder where you fight, go into the ruins of a post-apocalyptic earth and you try and clean it up and bring the animals back. And, um, it was not like a super deep simulation and I wish there were more simulation aspects to it, but as a game that I had a blast with for 10 or 20 hours, I had a blast with Terranel for 10 or 20 hours.
2: Yep. Same. And I th- I think it, like, it didn't really pop into my brain when Len, when, uh, we, when you mentioned uh, city builders, because in my brain, it's kind of categorized as a, as a puzzle game. Yeah. It, it feels kind of more like doing a long crossword or uh, yeah. or something like that, but um, which is not a ding on it at all. I think it's great at what it does. Um, but yeah, figuring out how to place everything in these phases of, you know, uh, restoring and then leaving an area. It's yeah a profoundly satisfying and beautiful game to look at too.
1: Yeah. Um it it's got really great vibes. Um and like I think it was released on like Netflix games, like Into the Breach was, which I feel is a good comparison to it as a game that's sort of procedural, but also sort of a puzzle. Into the breach, I think is a lot deeper as a strategic yeah. game, but it has that same like pick up and play and actually think about cool stuff and has a similar look to it which is which probably helps the the isometric heavily pixelated thing but um yeah
0: yeah i also think it's it's um when people look back on art from you know the early 21st century obviously climate anxiety is a huge theme yeah uh we've talked about against the storm already which kind of presents that in a certain way of like a world where the environment is, is sort of destroying everything because of spoilers, a little bit like mistakes that we made <laughs> as a civilization. <laughs> um, and, you know, Terra Nil is kind of cathartic in a different way because it's actually letting you do something about that. It's actually letting you kind of very, directly undo some of the mistakes. Um, and, uh, you know, I think those are both kind of compelling ways to grapple with this tension that I think we, most of us who are not deluding ourselves have about the world we live in on a, on a daily basis. So. Well,
2: I like that, that Terra Nil kind of is, a a, maybe a slight, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking at? Like antidote for doomerism in that it's yeah. focused on like local discrete tasks yeah. that can be done to clean up a place and, and restore an ecosystem. And and so I, I really appreciate it on, on that level. The, uh, that, the, what's like, the
0: poem the, about the throwing the starfish back into the water or whatever that when we all had to learn an English class yeah. where it's like, oh, you can't what what difference does it make? And it's like, well, I made a difference for this one. And, you know, it's it's yeah. that kind of vibe. Yeah. Um,
1: another another apocalyptic city builder that we have done <laughs> two shows on recently is uh dot age or dotage. Yeah. Uh, depending on how old you are feeling. Talk um, talk
0: about artisanal game design. I mean there we go. Yes. Almost everything except the music was made by one person. Uh, in this game, and the music was well, made by another single person. So it's really one TV.
2: person and uh, like, a l- l- however many cats are in that room. <laughs>
0: yeah. Um, yeah, we have a, a full episode on and also an interview with the developer on our Patreon, um, uh, if you're subscribed at $5 and up, um, so yeah, I don't, it's, those were both so recent that I don't know what to say about yeah. it, but I haven't already
1: yeah we Um, we did a show on we yeah we did two shows in the last two months and we we think this game is really good and it's a a cool little worker management post-apocalyptic kind of but also kind of averting the apocalypse uh city builder like city builder sort of implies a sim city like feeling uh, which most city builders tend to have but this is actually like a purely turn-based game and is Uh, very strongly influenced by worker management board games um but yeah i think i think if you just like go click on the steam page and look at the video of it playing you'll be like oh this looks neat or you'll won't say that but it comes highly recommended from all us at 3ma
2: and it's also just such a great success story too uh michelle biravano like made this on his spare time over nine years or whatever and i think he's kind of been a little bit bowled over by the uh well, yeah if you're on this the team page, look at the reviews. it It's like, <laughs> yeah, overwhelmingly positive that like as, uh, like tens of thousands of reviews
0: <laughs> as as someone who is at the start of that journey myself right now as a mostly solo developer, like I don't want to be hyperbolic and say that it's like, you know, been, oh, such a huge inspiration to me. but if if I allow myself a little, a little bit of vulnerability, hey. it, re- it really has like it it has mm-hmm. shown me that. One person in you know with a an actual other job that they still have to do can make something this good so yeah um definitely recommend it uh the one other shout out i had is dune spice wars um which i feel like didn't get a a ton of buzz maybe because of the whole early access thing like we did an early access episode on it um came out of early access this year, and I just think it's a really good uh, multiplayer or single player. I've played it both, and I think it works really well both ways. It it just it captures the things to me that are cool about Dune um, in interesting mechanical ways. And uh, yeah, I've I've just had a blast with it. Um, And uh, yeah. I, I'm, I think I'm the only one here who's played. The uh, yeah, I, I, yeah. I wish I had played it. Yeah. I, it's,
2: uh, I, I'm embarrassed that I haven't, but uh, no, I, I yeah. I'll take that as a, as a reason to track it down and install it though. Yeah. Um, Cause I mean, it's one that I definitely, I mean, and it's Shiro games, right? Like I love right. their stuff. So there's no reason that, yeah, I, can like give you that I haven't North, played it.
0: North guard, I think is our second or third most played multiplayer game on the, on the three M A discord. Um, after, like, EU4 and Steel Division. Um, yeah. So, yeah, Shiro, the, like, they, they kind of get what they're doing with that style of RTS. Um, the, the other interesting thing is when I got my, like, Steam recap for the end of the year, my third play, my third most played game in a year of so many banger new games was still EU4, and virtually (laughs) all of that was in the Anbanar mod, which is the like fantasy, swords and sorcery, D&D, elves, and orcs going through the early modern period, um, which has some really interesting implications. We did a full episode on it in January. Can't recommend it enough. It's kept EU4 alive for me, Um, and uh, I could foresee... It's still being in my top five most played games next year, specifically because of that mod they added. Fantasy Africa, uh, it's basically a whole new continent. Uh, there's 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 lizard people. Um, you know, we, we we could unpack the implications of that as, <laughs> in terms of uh, fantasy settings, uh, assigning specific uh, geographical cognates to uh, certain. Non-human yeah. races, but I think that's been said better by uh, other people in other places. Uh, it's just—it's just a really good mod. Uh, a lot of work has gone into it. Artisanally uh, crafted. There you go. Um, we—we um, we missing anything? Any any last I would, little?
1: I I would say a last thing to to talk about is stuff that we we missed this year and wanted to get to
0: yeah there's a lot of those for me <laughs>
2: yeah <laughs> same
0: um yeah uh I'm trying like specifically strategy I know like one of the biggest ones for me was slay the princess which i which is not strategy, but I've heard a lot of good things about
1: yeah one uh, that I
2: really uh, wanted to play is uh cantata yeah and I yeah. have just not had a chance to like it just looks so different and cool, and I have not had a chance to uh. To, uh, that is this year right like i think it left early access yeah in august and it just uh, i don't i don't fully understand what it's doing uh i i played like maybe 20 minutes of it um but that yeah. like and that was an early access so i, I that's one I, I i wish i'd gotten more of a chance to check out
1: um when we've talked about i think terra nil uh mm-hmm. and um uh referenced Per and looked at, like there are there are a bunch of games that are coming out about like terraforming Mars specifically, but terraforming overall. There's one that's called Plan B Terraform that came out uh, earlier this year uh, in early access. And there's another one called Terraformers that just got an expansion. And these, these look like, I don't know, if they get it right, that seems like a really deep direction for strategy games to go. I don't know if they've gotten it right, but there—that's a direction that I'm interested in, uh, in checking out, and we we'll, keeping an eye on these, and hopefully we'll be able to do a show on them. But uh, if not, mm-hmm. at least talk about them on shows like this, because uh, yeah, I think I think the idea of terraforming a planet, or well, you know, healing the Earth after mm-hmm. it like this is this is a way to get out of the only capitalist mindset of a lot of like city builders and grand strategy games of constant expansion. Instead, it's more of a, how can we heal? How can we make things better and more interesting? And, uh, I'm really, I'm really interested in that as a direction for strategy games to go. That's not within one of the four X's.
0: Um, yeah actually iron oath now that i look at it is one of my i haven't played it yet but i really feel like i should which <laughs> we already talked on or talked yep. about a little bit earlier um well you get to that in the next couple of weeks and we'll do a show in near yeah yeah for sure um, it looks
2: really neat yeah i'd like to check that one out too
0: oh uh the uh 2.0 update for suzerain came ah. out this year too and i was like just about to dive into it i was so ready to start another run in suzerain which is again probably one of my 10 or 20 favorite games of the last 10 years and uh then i i got a large review assignment uh, landed my lap as is often the case so um yeah i'm really looking because they've they've supposedly expanded it significantly um so i'm really looking forward to doing another playthrough of that
1: I uh I I I mentioned Age of Sigmar, which is not a thing. I've I've heard some mixed reviews on that, but would be curious about that. Wasn't entirely a joke, but it did remind me that I did want to get to Rogue Trader after a, after oh, the yeah. usual owl cat barrage of patches to make it tolerable. Uh
0: <laughs> it is really good. I forgot to include that with tactical RPGs uh somehow, but uh, I do really, I did really enjoy Rogue Trader, both as an RPG and as a tactics game.
1: Yeah, and it sounds um, like there's some pretty major bugs and pretty major yes. annoyances. And in six months, it might be, it might be something I'm super excited about. But yeah, absolutely.
0: Yeah.
2: There was a big patch for Rogue Trader today, I think. Um, okay. But yeah, so they they are getting, I think, some of the bigger, like more disruptive issues addressed with some quickness. So, but man, yeah, I love that game. Yeah, especially playing as an Imperial Commissar and having uh, like dialogue options. <laughs> we talked about those moral They've choices, been, man. Dude, there's some, like,
0: I believe they have a build an ability where you can literally shoot your teammate, and it gives them some kind of a buff. Which <laughs> is just yeah, extremely war like diving into the like satirical intent of Warhammer Age of Sigmar. I did play uh, Realms of Ruin. The press. Preview beta for that, and it actually was pretty decent of what I played of it. Um, so I would like at some point I didn't land the review and I had several other reviews going on at the same time, so I didn't get a chance to really dive into the full version, but like it was good enough that like, yeah, I'd like to loop back background to it and see yeah. how it turned out. Um Wait, I played a bit of have, it,
2: like the first yeah. couple missions, and yeah, it seems serviceable. I, I'm I'm kind of on the fence about it right now. Like it's yeah. not grabbing me. But uh, it, it's also not like actively repelling me either. <laughs> so. we,
1: we haven't hit Fraser's year of the RTS coming back, <laughs> but we did have like the the genre is like stirring a little bit, and maybe maybe something really exciting will come out of it. I mean, I would say Alien's Dark Descent is is a descendant of like Warcraft three and Starcraft mods, basically. Yeah, I, uh, and yeah. I think it's got interesting things going on, but I don't know that I would. You know, classify it as in any way a traditional RTS, but um, yeah, there's also the Great War, which we didn't mention at all, but we've done a whole show on that, yeah. and uh, it's it's somewhat successes and somewhat failures, I think. Um, but yeah, the the genre is there's there there's stuff creaking out of it that might be might might make even me get interested at some point.
0: Aliens: Dark Descent is a MOBA. Don't at me. Do not.
1: Okay. Um, I mean I, I mean I did just say it was uh, like a Warcraft 3 yeah, mod, and I mean, that it's, is
0: a, it's technically not multiplayer or online, but it is a MOBA.
2: Yeah,
1: I um, think you are playing essentially a single entity with various yeah. cooldown-based tactical things and yeah. trying to maneuver. It's a
2: MOBA through. but all jungle. That's
0: yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Oh man, yeah i'm I'm getting a little I'm getting a little punchy at this point. Yeah. <laughs> do we have any Do we have any final thoughts on 2023 before we uh, we call this year a wrap?
2: Uh, video hey. games are still over.
0: Yeah. Okay.
2: We've Not started again. I think. Um. So yeah, going. Yeah. Everyone... It still video, we've reached the video end. Video
1: games will have started again when Three Kingdoms Two actually comes out. I <laughs> yeah, <think>. there <laughs> you go. That's...
2: That's the
0: the litmus test, yeah. Um, Yeah. Sorry.
1: Uh, Apologies to Creative Assembly and whatever shit you're going through, but we have needs.
0: Yeah. Especially, especially like the frontline devs who I'm sure, you know, are. We just need you to (laughs)
2: fulfill the prophecy. That's it. Look, I'm sorry. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Three Kingdoms 2, or whatever you decide to call it, it needs to happen. Like that's chop chop. Uh, we, we've we've made a three ma has made a direct request of you. Um, it's uh, not really a
1: request. Video games can stay over. Like that's fine. That's it's true.
0: Just, yeah. It's, <laughs> if if you don't care about video games never coming back, then yeah, I guess you don't have to make Three Kingdoms two. It's fine. Uh. Uh. Plugs. Any plugs, Rowan? You you plugged a little bit about your uh, consulting business.
1: Yeah, um, I am working on a website. If the domain is still available for cheap, it is going to be rowan.monster, and it might be up by the time this show comes out. And uh, yeah, I'm going to try to be a consultant who can do things like mock reviews is probably the big one. Uh, I'm also going to offer sensitivity reading and... um, just sort of generalized if you're having trouble with some aspect of your game or it's marketing then you can come to me and i can help you write and we can talk about what that'll be uh and i i will talk with lynn about getting that all signed up at uh, getting 3ma promoting that uh blah 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 uh but yes it's uh it's it's the plan it is launching in early January, hopefully associated with that Baldur's Gate article that I, I promoted to. Um, that's, that's my big pairing of a launch idea. And hopefully that'll all come together within the next week or two. I am also Sorry. on a science fiction movie podcast called Total Massacre. We just finished Philip K. Dick Simber, and we are doing a requests month for Uh, January, which is going to start with Dark City. So if you want to look for Total Massacre wherever you listen to podcasts, Uh, we used to be an action movie podcast. Now we are a science fiction
2: movie podcast.
0: Ian, where can people find your other stuff?
2: Uh, You can find me on uh, taptap.io. In fact, uh, I'd love to have a bunch of uh, Three Moves Ahead uh, listeners uh sign up and just like express interest in strategy games because that will give me more opportunities to write about them it's sort of a social platform uh but also a games platform uh it's historically been highly mobile focused but over the past year we've been pushing and uh uh or yeah building out our uh coverage of basically PC and console games uh, across the board so um It's exciting and new, but yeah, we'd we'd love to have more people who are, I, well, selfishly would like to have a lot more people who are uh, super stoked about uh, strategy games uh, on board um, just to let, uh, I don't know, let the algorithm know that that's an interesting thing that people uh, like to play. So, um, yeah, but yeah, if you go to io or you can find the app on the Google Play Store or um, App Store, whichever your preference. So, yep, that's me and um, i'm on blue sky mouthing off constantly so you can find me there too
0: and posting cat pics yeah do you want to plug your uh, your 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 small plastic men what's what's going on with those guys <laughs>
2: yeah the, well i'm i've uh, yeah i've made the uh probably um ill-informed decision to start buying plastic warhammer physical models i have played so it's many of the i think it's a great decision. it's kind of what I found out though is like once you walk into a Warhammer store and then walk out with an object that you've purchased you have you haven't made a normal purchase. What you have now is like a relationship like you would have with a yeah. car dealership um so <laughs> you is. just keep yeah. going back
0: yeah. uh, <laughs> to well, get things you know fixed. What? We should do an episode on like Warhammer tabletop, Winter of Wargaming 2024. Like that, that counts. We should, we should go for it. Um, I'm, I'm
2: currently working on a, uh, on a, uh, Chaos Space Marine Army that's probably going to be Black Legion, uh, who are arguably boring, but they've kind of got a cool look to them. And, uh, yeah. So we'll see.
0: It's, it's about the aesthetic when it comes to Warhammer, you know.
2: It is, and I'm, I'm an old yeah. Pittsburgh Steelers fan, so the Black Legion kind of just made sense.
0: Okay, well, we just lost a, a bunch of listeners just now. but uh, <laughs> uh, Other than this podcast, I'm working on a video game. I think it's a pretty interesting idea. I'm probably going to be launching some kind of dev blog in January. Uh, don't expect to play it anytime soon, because making a video game as one person obviously takes many years. Um, that's the main thing I'm doing other than this, and writing stuff at like IGN and PC Gamer and other websites you've heard about. Three Moves Ahead is hosted on the Idle Thumbs Network. You can find us there at idlethumbs.net slash 3MA. And we are, of course, supported by listeners like you at patreon.com slash 3MA. Uh, we are trying to schedule the Ridley Scott's Napoleon episode. I'm hoping to have it out before the end of the year. Um, But if not, we'll give you another bonus episode in January to make up for it. I'm not going to count that as next month's episode. Uh, And uh, yeah, really always appreciate all of your support there. Um, The fact that I'm able to work on a video game at all is largely due to that support. Um, We're on Twitter and Blue Sky. I don't remember the password to our Blue Sky account. We rarely post on Twitter except to announce new episodes. But if you want to follow us in both of those places, we're 3MA. And uh, it's good. It's a pretty good place to find out what we're up to, um, uh, including streaming, which we're going to be doing more of next year uh, at uh, 3MA Twitch TV slash 3MA live. You can really tell we've been recording for two hours now because my sanity is almost completely gone. Uh, So for Ian and for Rowan uh, and for the year that was 2023, this is Len saying, we'll see you in the next one. Uh, Edit, gonna insert and edit right here. I had another point, but I've been podcasting for too long and I don't remember what it was. Um, We were talking about Suzerain and then I had a thought. What was it?